Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. And welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined, as always, by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist. Following on from our last episode, where Rayleigh talked us through step by step what happens with assisted reproductive technology and how to prepare for it, today we are answering your questions on the topic how to prepare for ART. For our first question, Let's talk about the two-week wait. Is there anything we need to be aware of during that time? Like, should we be treating our bodies as though we're pregnant in terms of what we can and can't eat? Actually, no. So, yes, you'll continue your prenatal vitamins and continue good nutrition. But if you want to eat things like sushi or any foods that are restricted in pregnancy, you actually don't have to restrict yourself yet in the two-week wait. One of the questions is how flexible do I have to be with attending appointments, etc.? Now, I know what I tell my friends who are going through this. What's the official advice? You do need to prioritise your treatment during the time where we're watching you carefully. We like to do your ultrasound scans early in the morning, if at all possible, and blood tests same. That's so we can get a same-day result uh, in terms of blood tests. And so if we need to make treatment decisions based on your scans that we can give you and also all of the different players involved, the maximum time to be organised and prepared. Uh, From that, I mean, if you need to have an egg collection, then we need to put plans in place so you have a time slot on an operating list to do your egg collection. So we need to inform our day hospital team and our laboratory staff that you will be having an egg collection on that day. And what that means is we also have to ensure that our lab staff are expecting you and that there is an appointment for your partner to do a sperm sample and for that to be prepared and how many eggs are expected will impact how many dishes we need to prepare for you in the lab days before your egg collection. So there's actually a lot of behind the scenes work that you might not be aware of that we need to organise. And so from that perspective, making those lab appointments for you, because you'll not only have the appointment for your egg collection, which you'll be aware of because you need to fast and you need to turn up to, But actually, we're making appointments for your embryos for different scientists to be allocated to look after them. That's really important. If you're having ICSI, which is when we inject sperm into the egg, we have to allocate scientific time and also equipment time for your eggs to be injected. So all of this stuff has to be premeditated and organised. So what you're saying is that the patient needs to be very flexible because there's so much else that needs to be organised around that time. Yeah, look, it's important to understand that from your perspective, you might be attending a scan, but the decisions that are made based on the result of that scan impact many people who are going to be working together to help you hopefully have a successful treatment. So it's like conducting an orchestra. And I would say that it's one of those things that can be really hard because we think, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. But actually, 
we can give you a medical certificate to cover you. It's actually your right to put your healthcare first and maybe challenge the paradigm of what you can and can't do because at the end of the day, everyone will understand if you have a health appointment that you need to attend and you do have the right to put yourself first during treatment. Is there anything that should be avoided or actively done pre and post embryo transfer? I think it's really important to give yourself that time if you can. I think when you're rushing to appointments under stress, that creates extra pressure that is best avoided during treatments. Allowing yourself a few hours off around an embryo transfer is probably a good thing. There are different opinions about things like acupuncture and other allied health avenues of getting ready. In terms of that, I think it's personal. The evidence doesn't necessarily support needing to attend acupuncture at X amount of time before or after an embryo transfer. In fact, there have been no studies showing improved live birth rates related to the timing of acupuncture. But some patients really enjoy acupuncture and it can be a really good adjuvant to treatment in terms of stress reduction. And Karen, our acupuncturist at Women's Health Melbourne, really supports the fact that you actually need to attend treatment regularly to have long-term benefits as opposed to pre and post embryo transfer timing as a one-off. If that's something you're interested in as a part of your treating team, engage early when you're planning IVF to see someone like Karen at Women's Health Melbourne to talk to you about the benefits and timing of treatment. In terms of preparing for embryo transfer, it's really super helpful if you've got a full bladder. Really, really, really helpful. I can see so much better and place your embryo so much more accurately if the ultrasound looking at your uterus is clear. And one thing you can do to help me do that is have a really full bladder. Uh, It's good to drink the night before as well, just to make sure you're quite hydrated and that way you won't overfill and then need to empty and then, you know, just being, being hydrated is good and then just drinking a couple of glasses of water before your embryo transfer about half an hour to 40 minutes before so that your bladder is nice and full. Aside from that, we can now have partners back in the embryo transfer area, which is really lovely. So having your partner come along, I think is really nice. And um, it's something we've really enjoyed having back after the pandemic when patients had to come by themselves without a support. And it really helps, I think, partners feel very involved in what is the most important part of an IVF cycle, let's face it, because this is actually where we put the embryo back to try and make a baby. So it's quite marvellous and wonderful to see the embryo on the television screen under the microscope. It's, It's really quite a phenomenal experience, so one that's lovely to share. We've had a question around breastfeeding and when do you do an embryo transfer if you're breastfeeding, after you're breastfeeding? When you put an embryo back, you really want it to be in a very nice environment that's optimal for implantation. Many women who are breastfeeding fully, so they've had a baby not long ago, haven't got a regular menstrual cycle. And I'd recommend for most women to wait until they have got a regular menstrual cycle back, unless they're already, for example, someone who's gone through menopause and they don't have a regular menstrual cycle, in which case we do have to do what's called an artificial cycle transfer. If you're breastfeeding occasionally more for comfort for an older child, then usually your menstrual cycle is fine and it's not a problem to have an embryo transfer. So really it just comes down to the circumstances and something to talk to your doctor about on a one-to-one basis. Is there anything I should be eating or any specific exercise that actually improves the chances of IVF working? 
So this is urban myth territory. <laughs> There's a lot of urban myths out there about embryo transfer. Some people go out and have fries and burgers and things. There's really no evidence supporting that at all. And it shouldn't make a difference on a theoretical level. I would say eat what you want to eat. Something nice, preferably healthy. It, it's Everyone's got their good luck charm. But there's no supportive evidence that eating fried potatoes is going to make your embryo stick better. So you don't have to go and, um, and do that if you don't want to. If you want to, I don't have a problem with it. In the context of preparing for IVF, how does it work with the costs? So there's costs up front, there's various rebates. How does this work? Do you know? I can only really speak to our clinic, um, Melbourne IVF, and the way that we manage things is that patients do pay for the cost of their cycle up front, the whole cost of their cycle once they start with day one. But then once they've had their treatment, they get a significant amount back from Medicare and their health funds. So it's usually around half of what they've paid, they get back straight away as soon as their cycle is finished. And that's the system that we have. And that's IVF, not egg freeze. It depends if someone's Medicare eligible. Because obviously if you don't have a Medicare eligible treatment, you don't have a Medicare rebate. That would have been explained to you though on an individual basis. It sounds like there's a lot of appointments and scans. What are the frequency of appointments? So usually during a cycle, you'll call up with your period to get started and you'll have an appointment with one of my nursing team to just give you a reiteration of your plan, which would have been explained to you in a lot of detail in your pre-treatment appointments, but just to make sure you know exactly what you're doing and to support you. That's usually done via Zoom or via phone. And you'll pick up your medications. If you do come in physically to pick up your medications, you might have your nursing appointment physically at the same time. So it's up to you. In terms of monitoring appointments, you'll usually have two to three, usually more like two, during your treatment. Sometimes you'll be asked to have a blood test in addition to that on a particular time. You can expect to have a few clinical touch points during your cycle, usually two to three times. And then you'll come in for your egg collection procedure and you'll need the day after that off in most cases. I do recommend it just so that you can recover from the procedure. And then five days later, if you're having a fresh embryo transfer, you'll come in for your embryo transfer. And then two weeks after that or 10 days after that, you'll have to come in for a blood test. Those are the main appointment touch points. Usually they don't take long each time. Usually you can come in for say for example half an hour at a time so it's it's not taking a lot of time out of your day but it is a discipline during a cycle that you will need to come in and attend appointments. What about common symptoms or side effects in their average duration? What will people experience? So again caveat everyone's different and also it's one of my very big focuses to try and minimize side effects for my patients during treatment. So the way that I plan cycles will have that in mind. The more eggs you are capable of making in a cycle, the more bloated and hormonal you're going to feel because each follicle that has an egg in it is a hormone-making factory. So if you have one egg developing in a natural cycle, that's going to be equivalent to one dose of hormones. If you have five eggs, it's five times what you would normally experience. Ten eggs, ten times what you would normally experience. 20 eggs, 20 times. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. What's normal is the first week of the cycle is not too bad. Uh, and that's good because you're kind of getting used to giving yourself needles and things like that. So 
It's good there aren't too many side effects in that first week. From the second week, you may start to feel a bit bloated and retaining a little bit of fluid, not a, not a whole heap, but a bit. And so having, you know, your favourite pair of stretchy leggings or stretchy trackies is probably a good thing to have on hand. But yeah, just making sure that if you notice that it's not unusual, it's not weird, it's not putting on weight, it's all fluid. What you'll feel after your trigger is more significant bloating because the trigger makes the follicles swell and you'll feel that happening. And then in terms of after your egg collection, you can be a little bit sore because your ovaries have been poked by a needle. And as a general rule of thumb, as a general rule of thumb, the more eggs you have, the sore you will be after an egg collection and the longer it will take you to feel better. If you have a smaller number of eggs, your ovaries have been pricked a smaller number of times to get the eggs out. And so you heal faster and you won't be as bloated or sore. In terms of the embryo transfer, most of the time, five days after the egg collection, if a fresh embryo transfer is to be performed, women will feel pretty normal that day. So those symptoms prior to egg collection will hopefully be resolving really nicely. And in terms of by the time you do your pregnancy test, you're really just like any other pregnant person. This is something that comes up quite a lot and it's about needle phobia. If the partner has a needle phobia, is this something I can do on my own or do I need someone to help me? You can definitely do the needles yourself. It's no doubt a really hard thing to do to give yourself a needle from a psychological perspective. From a physical perspective, when you rationalise it intellectually, most women have been through many things that are more painful than giving yourself a subcuticular injection. So if you've ever had a leg wax or if you've ever had even plucking an eyebrow, it probably hurts more than giving yourself the tiny little, you know, kind of hairline needles that we use in IVF. You can get bruising on your tummy from giving yourself needles repeatedly day after day. A nice trick that you can use is putting a bit of ice on the area in a little ice pack before you give the needles because that firstly numbs the area so you don't feel it. But then it also makes the little capillaries, the little surface blood vessels kind of hide away from the surface and it means you have less bruising. So that's a little trick that you can use. You can also move the area you give the needle around. If you think of someone who has diabetes and they have to give themselves insulin in a needle three times a day or four times a day, um, that's a lot more than you need to do in IVF. It is definitely possible and feasible to give your own needles and once you get the hang of it, it's really most people find no sweat. I have to say from personal experience, from freezing my eggs, the first time you inject yourself, it's just, it blows your mind and then it's really easy after that. You get used to it really quickly. Rayliet, do you have any special tips for getting as many healthy eggs as possible? I think it's really important to say two things. One is for every patient, I do my best to help them achieve their individual potential. And the second thing to say is that we're not all equal. Not everybody can get a a high number of eggs in one cycle. That's okay. At the end of the day, you can only do what you can do. You can't stimulate an egg unless it's there. We can't collect an egg from you unless it's there. And so the number of eggs you can collect in a cycle will be influenced by your ovarian reserve and you'll have a fairly good idea of how many to expect by watching your ultrasound scans as we watch you in treatment because the number of follicles we see on scan 
of a decent size is going to be the absolute maximum number of eggs we're going to find. So if you have 10 follicles on your scan, it's very unlikely that we're going to get more than 10 eggs. So it's, it's really important to just understand that and set your expectations realistically because no matter what medications we give you, we can only work with what you've got. And that pre-treatment counselling can be really helpful in terms of trying to understand where you're at in terms of your ovarian reserve. And that's just one of those unshakable barriers that we actually can't change. We can't change how big your ovary is or how many eggs you have. What we can do is personalise your medication regimens to try and get the best out of what you've got. And that's really all anyone can really be asked to do. So... Some women do need to have more cycles to get the same number of eggs and it's a little bit unfair but it's just the limits of biology for you. We get asked this quite a lot. How do I know if I go straight to IVF or I can try IUI first? So what I would say is that there are many ways to treat a patient. Some have better prognosis or worse prognosis for success in the setting of an individual and their circumstances. Just because IUI might not have as high a success rate as IVF, in fact, it doesn't um, for anybody, but in terms of patient choice, it doesn't mean it's not a treatment that we can try. What is important is to have that contract of understanding between patient and doctor that all your options have been explained to you and that you have a choice. And as a doctor, I often try and guide that choice to try and get my patient a good outcome because at the end of the day, I want them to have a baby. And it's not necessarily because I don't want them to do something that's less invasive. It might just be that I want them to understand that in their circumstances, there might be a much higher chance of success through another pathway if I advise them to go more for an IVF style pathway. So for example, if I look at a sperm test and I think, gee, this is not IUI quality, it's very unlikely to make a baby through IUI, then you know I might say that to a patient and they might say, I'd really love to try IUI. I understand what you're saying, but I'd really love to take that very small chance of success and give it a go. In which case, if there's you know not an not a absolute barrier, I would let them because it's their body and it's their choice. Having said that, it's my job to explain the probability of success for any given treatment. And say, for example, if a woman is 40 and she's using poor quality sperm and her chance per IUI treatment of having a baby is 1% to 5%, then I'm going to tell her that and I'm going to say, if IVF is a better option, why? And and why I'm making that recommendation in her circumstance. So it really does come down to the individual and also the patient perspective. If you are prepared to accept a lower success rate in order to try a treatment that's less invasive and in its own way less expensive, then that's reasonable. And what what my job is as your doctor is to explain all of those facts to you so you can make an informed decision. Just to finish up, our last question. You sort of touched on it earlier, but as, as a general rule, are there any vitamins, hormones, nutrition that we should be considering ahead of freezing eggs? In ahead of IVF in general. Definitely good nutrition will improve fertility. Definitely antioxidant therapy for many people will improve fertility. So these are conversations that I have with my patients prior to starting treatment. I also invite 
my patients to build their team. And one of the beautiful things about our practice at Women's Health Melbourne is we have really hand-picked, gorgeous allied health professionals. And I refer many of my patients to seek the advice of our team and to choose the members of their team that they want on board for their treatment because IVF is teamwork and to get the best success rates, we need to work together. I don't think there's one magic ingredient vitamin supplement. I think it's really important to try and holistically optimise our health and that way we optimise our fertility treatment chances. And I think the time to build your team is as early as possible in your fertility journey because that means that you gain the benefits of their knowledge and the acumen of their individual doctrines to your care as soon as practical. And that might help you conceive naturally as well as with treatment. Thank you so much, Raylia. What a great episode. Thanks, Geordie. <laughs> and everyone for their questions. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Listener.